Yo, yo, yo. We are back with the All the Smoke podcast. Simone and Meek. What's up, Simone? Hey, hey. <laughs> uh, before we get started, as always, we want to give a shout out to our brother podcast, the UX for it podcast. Yeah, With Andre No Excuses and Bassine the Dream. They record every Saturday night, Facebook Live, 6.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And also, The World Is Yours radio show with Andre No Excuses, which is also Facebook Live, recorded Thursday nights, 9 p.m. Check them out. If you haven't done so already, I don't know what it is that you're doing with your life. Also, go back and check out our previous episodes. They can be heard on Anchor, Spotify, and I believe Apple at this point. Um, I have to double check that, though. But but look for us on Apple. Um, also, join the pages, the Facebook um, All The Smoke podcast page and the All The Smoke group page, as well as the UX for it podcast page. Um, so you heard that they're trying to get rid of the damn chats. Yeah. The group chats. Which is going to fuck us all the way up. It is going to screw us, though, big time. Um, Facebook on some hating ass shit though. Of course. I don't, I don't know. Like, okay, censorship. But, you know, we'll make it do what it do, make the necessary um, allowances. Facebook, you're fucking up my ability to talk shit in the chats, and I don't like it. <laughs> Facts. Facts. So we'll see. Um, we'll figure out what platform we'll move to and then make the um, announcement. Uh, at that time as to what we'll be doing moving forward um so yeah this this week has been a bitch for me dog i'm not yeah. gonna hold you yeah this shit has been mad stressful it's been mad emotional um and then you know this is our outlet so it is. um we appreciate you listening we appreciate you supporting us and being a part of what we're trying to do so um yeah what first do you correction. think okay orgasms are my first outlet Facts. Podcast is my second. I'm not mad at that. Thank you for clarifying. You're welcome. Yeah. It should be everyone's first outlet. It should be. I'm not going to hold you. It it's, was it's, my outlet a few hours ago. I, well, I'm a very stressful lever. You know, <laughs> what can we say? <laughs> you know, some of us are more fortunate than others. Shut up. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> be wild. All right. Lies. So, what, um, what exactly are we, what's the move for tonight? What's the move for today? <sighs> What are we talking about? I feel like we said we were going to discuss unpopular opinions. So look, right? I know this ain't your shit, numerology and all that, but this is episode eight. And, and as eight far is as your favorite number. Eight is my fucking number, dog. You know. So like this is really important to me. And you know, I was like racking my brain trying to figure out what would be something good to discuss. And I was thinking, why not ruffle some fucking feathers with discussing shit that people would disagree with? Do it. <laughs> <laughs> Those are my favorite two words. They are. Do it. So I'm thinking that um, the first one that I have to dive into is what I think and feel about parents. So basically, I feel like, I basically feel like 
we place so much emphasis as a unit, as a, as a society, even in our community, in the Black community, on familial relationships, right? And I get that, you know, people are kind of wrapped up with these biological ties and, um, you know, who mom is supposed to be to them, who dad is supposed to be with them. But quite honestly, I think it kind of fucks us up, right? And this whole idea of village, in my opinion, doesn't have to be someone that is biologically related to to you. Mm -hmm. I think that ultimately, as long as you have people who can support you and motivate you and love you, whatever that looks like, you can have a pretty decent experience. Mm -hmm. Like you can grow up as a very adapted, well-adapted human fucking being, right? I don't think that concept is very far-fetched, though, because if you think about it, we, um, a lot of us grew up in single parents at homes, and that didn't mean that we stopped having those, you know, significant male influences. I think that our parents, to some degree, recognized that there was a portion, um, you know, of our construct or our dynamic missing, and so they substituted that. So I don't think that that's necessarily far-fetched, that we kind of create the families that we weren't genetically um, or biologically born with. No, and I agree with that. But what I'm saying is even when you just started discussing it, you made mention of growing up in single parent families and having um, potentially having other male influences. And I'm saying for me, it goes even deeper than that, because I would argue that it doesn't necessarily matter the um, biology of those persons who are a part of this village. Right. And I think that we do people in general a disservice when we place emphasis on um, these titles that other people have. So your mom, your dad, right? Quite honestly, the only thing that makes a parent a parent is their ability to fucking reproduce. Period. I don't think that um, it goes very much deeper than that, but I think that we've convinced ourselves that there is a, a, a value judgment placed on those titles. It's a value placed on um, who these people are supposed to, quote unquote, be in your life. And I'm saying that, fuck that. Like, fuck the fact that this person, you know, helped to, quote unquote, create you. What's more important is who's going to be there, who's going to be there for your um, evolving so to speak. I absolutely agree. I've said before in some of our other discussions that specifically as it relates to children, I'm a mom of two. Um, there is no such thing as a kid having too many people who love and support them, right? No matter what that makeup is. Um, but I think balance is important, right? So like just this idea that um, I'm only going to surround myself with women who seem to be um, loving and supporting my kids. I think balance is important. And so I don't necessarily subscribe to the idea that you, you know, have to cultivate and forge relationships with your biological family. I do think it is important um, to make sure that your kids have someone other than yourself um, to kind of talk to and relate to and vent to in the event that they can't do that with you. I agree. We've talked about that on multiple occasions. I guess my biggest gripe, I guess I would say, 
with the whole issue um, of these like biological and familial ties is like, like I said, the emphasis that's placed on the title. And once again, I, I also am a mother of two and I have um, an adult daughter. And just looking back and remembering the struggle that she seemed to experience as it related to um, periods of time where her father couldn't be present in her life. And she struggled, right? She struggled, even though she had, you know, me and she had my mother and she had you and she had, you know, other people that I was connected to and, and, and other elders and like all these other people to support her. It was this like missing part as far as she was concerned that caused so much like chaos in her like formative years. Mm -hmm. And it, it just seemed like it was nothing I could do to soothe that thing, no matter, you know, what other support she had, no matter what other things we tried to surround herself with, as much love as we tried to give her, it was that quote unquote missing piece. And I guess what I'm saying is not to take anything away from parents um, who actually are involved in their children's lives, but I'm saying that I think that we we harm our, our, our children more by placing such a strong emphasis on who's supposed to quote unquote be in their lives versus who really are in their lives. I agree. I think it just makes me wonder um, a bit more deeply about these connections, right? So there was a period of time where her dad could not be there, right? So effectively, she didn't really know because there was, there was a, a stretch mm -hmm. where he could not be there. Right. Um, so she didn't really know uh, who dad was like really no right but yet she still had this like internal yearning so it, in some ways it kind of makes me question is this thing inherent like I, I, a part of me believes that it is inherent for anyone to know where they come from right mm -hmm. and so even when you build these um you know family structures around a kid who might be missing a piece I think that there's still this like internal yearning to want to know where this other parent is and, and how do I connect to them um, in a meaningful way in my life. And I think that one of the things that you mentioned is that when dad wasn't there, she had some difficulty adjusting in his absence. And so I agree that we should do whatever we can to make our um, families or create families that are um, full and give our kids the things that they need, the tools that they need to kind of like, um, you know, be successful. Right. Mm -hmm. But I don't, I think it's a bit negligent and dismissive almost to kind of like ignore that there are parts of us, there are these internal parts of us that want to seek out, want to know where we come from to seek out this other person. Um, and I think that, I think that you did a great job of building around her, right? So even when she was experiencing these moments where, oh, I want him so bad, I want him to be here so bad, there were still always other people to kind of, um, you know, catch her, for lack of a better term, mm -hmm. when she fell into these uh, moments where she just had to have him, you know, so bad, if that makes sense. It does make sense. I'm just, I guess I'm stuck and I don't have the answers. Um, but I am stuck with this idea that it is an inherent 
um, like you said, yearning. I don't know if um, that is necessarily the case or if it's a, a more about a societal construct that we teach repeatedly um, what it's supposed to be. And then, you know, generationally, we just kind of buy and fall into and buy the idea, essentially drink the Kool-Aid, right? I use that analogy for a lot of things, mm -hmm. but like drink the Kool-Aid as to what, um, like I said, well-adjusted families, what well-adjusted children need, what they have and who is a part of their lives. And we say that that thing includes a, a, a man and a woman who essentially play part in your creation. And I'm saying there are so many different dynamics of people who don't necessarily have that thing that end up being just as um, successful, just as healthy, emotionally, physically, and otherwise. Um, so what is it about like what we do? And, and I'll speak specifically for our community. What do we do specifically in the black community to um, kind of perpetuate that thing? Like, what do we do? Like, we've we've all grown up, if not personally, we've grown up with um, peers who have like the multi generation setup situation, right? Like, you have grandma in the home, you have mom in the home, you have aunties in the home, you have you know I me mean? all these things. I mean, hell, we got like play family, play cousins, right. play this and that. Like, that's a big thing in our community. So, you know, I guess I'm concerned about, um, you know, the potential damage we do by continuing to, for me, perpetuate this idea that it has to be these particular people, these particular right. characters in order for things to be. Um, I think one of the, one of the most difficult things to kind of like dissect, particularly as it relates to um, the black community, because we are such a communal um, group of people. <sighs> For me, at least, I think it is important um, to have these connections, right? Mm -hmm. But I, but I could also, I also understand how it can potentially damage our kids. Like if we are saying that, you know, your mom and dad are, you know, the, they are the most important uh, parts of your dynamic. I can understand how when one of those parents falls short um, of what society's expectations for a parent um, should be, I get it how it might how how it could be perceived as us doing a disservice, you know, to our kids. But I think what's even more important to me is that um, because we are such, like I said before, the black community is such a, a connected community, such a connected communal group um, that I think it's difficult to just extract these meanings from relation from from these dis prescribed relationships. Mm -hmm. um, I think that potentially doing it either way has um, the propensity to damage um, and be harmful to our kids. Mm. I and mean, I think that one of the things that 
the setup is going to be different um, for for each for each person. I'm not particularly close to either one of my parents, um, and I don't feel any shame about it. I don't let people, because um, you know we got that saying in our community. Oh, but that's your mother, exactly. And that's kind of yeah. that's kind of my whole point, though, right? That's kind of my whole point is, you know, one of the things, once again, going back to like things I've had to kind of instill in my daughter to protect her, Mm -hmm. right? From these things, one of the things I used to say to her on a regular basis is, everyone who looks like you is not for you. All skin folk, right? Yeah. So, you know, whether that was talking about um, someone, you know, in, you know, our close proximity that, you know, wasn't necessarily the best, like making the best decisions um, or whatever, you know, she needed to understand that you don't owe these people a connection. You don't owe them a relationship. You don't owe them any parts of you if they aren't for your benefit. You know what I mean? If they're not for um, the betterment of you, I don't care who they are. Mm-hmm. They You don't owe them you as a result. You don't owe them you as a result of, um, you know, just on the strength of trying to, you know, appease, like you said, the societal standard, the societal norm of what it means to be, quote unquote, related to someone. Like some of the most close, you know, people in my life to date are people I have zero biological ties to. But when I say my family, when I say my cousins, when I say my this, when I say my that. I'm very much talking about those people that I I had the opportunity to choose, right? Because I deem their relationship um, or their role in my life as significant, meaningful, and beneficial to me and like my children. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that to me is more important. I'm not saying that we operate or live in a vacuum where we don't need anyone. I'm saying that this idea that people who are essentially handed to you Right. You have no choice in the matter. Aren't always necessarily. The best for you. Yeah. The best fit for you or who you have to keep essentially in your circle. Um, Because it doesn't mean like to me, the title itself doesn't, you know, offer anything in terms of me to like what, you know, what they're able to receive in terms of connection with me. Um, Just like you mentioned with your parents, like, my father wasn't, you know, I mean, involved in my life. I didn't have a very strong relationship with him. Um, and it, you know, I can't say it didn't, I can't say that it didn't um, have any type of ramifications for me growing up because I think that I also at various points in time, I like had also drunk that same Kool-Aid, right? Like, you know, why wasn't he there? You know, what happened that I didn't get X, Y, Z based off of the standard that's placed before me, that society says, you know, this is how it's supposed to look. This is how it's supposed to be. This is what you're supposed to get from this particular person. Um, But, you know, the older I got, the more I kind of became more aware of my expectations on people. I think one of the things that I am just learning to um, like I mentioned earlier, I don't have a really close relationship with either of my parents. Um, but I think it just kind of highlights for me, and I think you, we talked about this before, and you kind of like 
gave me this new perspective to look at things is that, um, you know, this contentious relationship that I have with my mom, right? That I'm angry at her for not giving me something that she could not give to me. Right. Right. And so hearing it in that sense made it so much more clear to me that like, I had mom as a mother. Right. Yes. And so I was blessed in that sense to have somebody who could stand in the gap where my mother, where my biological mother fell short. Right. Um, and I don't think it's something you realize, especially when you're younger. I don't right. think it's something you readily identify then. It's not until you get much older and have, you know, this wide ranging life experience that you really get to sit um, and think about, you know what, maybe my biological mother couldn't give me the things that I needed because she didn't have them. Um, but I was fortunate enough to have people who could um, stand in her place and kind of bridge the gap between the things she didn't have um, and the things that your mom was able to give to me. Right. And so, like, we talk about, you know, your oldest daughter now. And I still see her, even now, struggle a little bit with this thing between her and her father. Sure. Right? I don't think that's something you really get a good grasp of until she's a little older, until she realizes that, you know what? And I think one of the things that connects us is that with my 15-year-old, I'm still having these, you know, conversations about, you know, her dad, my ex-husband. I just don't, I, I think it takes a certain level of maturity to, to be able to sit back and say, you know what, maybe I didn't have this particular parent. And maybe he could not give me all the things that I was looking for or yearning for. But I had all these other people, you know, who stood in the gap for me to make up the space where, you know, my, where my dad could not participate for whatever reasons, could not participate. I had other people um, stand in the gap for me. So I think it's a matter of doing two things. I think it's a matter of um, allowing that kid to have freedom and space to say, I think I need this person. Mm -hmm. Right. And I don't think it is so much about society standards. I do think that there is a part of us that, you know, I don't get into like the energy of the universe, sure. shit, but I, I do think that there is an inherent part of us that wants to know where we come from, who we're connected to, sure. and ultimately who we belong to. Um, I, and you can build an enormous community around a kid and they will still see the absence of that one other parent and in some sense kind of ignore the wealth of people you've tried to build community around to support them. I think that it is just something, I, I, I wouldn't know what to call it. Um, I'm sure there is a word or a term for it, but I think that there is an inherent part of us that, that wants to know and be connected to the people we come from. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think, like I said earlier, it's kind of twofold. Giving your kid that space um, to know, see, and feel whatever feelings they have surrounding their parent. Um, but also building around them a robust community of people who love them, support them, champion them, 
because um, it, it doesn't happen overnight. Right. It doesn't happen overnight. But I imagine there is a place in her like journey. Your daughter, my daughter, there is a place in their journey where they look back and say, you know what? Maybe this person, for whatever reasons, could not give me the things that I needed um, at that time. But when I look back at it, I was supported and loved and cared for by so many people. You know, I, I think it's, a, I think it's um, you know, a both and and not either or. And I, no, I can definitely accept and respect it. Um, but I'm listening to everything that you're saying and you know me. I, I very rarely think that anything is cut and dry, right? Mm -hmm. Like everything to me has like multiple layers, multiple, you know, um, areas of interest involved in, in situations. And for me, I, I'm, I'm also thinking about all of the adult relationships that I have of primarily women. I'm not saying I never talk to men about these things, but, you know, primarily our circle of women who have in a lot of ways um, felt damaged by the absence or, um, you know, uh, relationships, the, the contentious relationships that they have had mm -hmm. um, with parents in their lives and it's kind of like what you said when you start to realize um the the limits involved in human nature right and going back to what i said before you know being a parent and i, and I know people are going to argue the whole you know being a mother is one thing but being a mom and being a father is one thing yeah. but being a dad and I, and I get it right like whatever we got to tell ourselves to feel better right seriously whatever we have to tell ourselves to make you know, to make the boo-boo go away, right. right? It's cool. But what I'm saying is that thing that makes you a parent, that thing that, you know, brings forth a child into the world, the only thing that had to happen was that sperm and that egg yes. and the maturation of it for that period of time. That's it. Mm -hmm. That's it. So those people that contributed to that thing could be, could be anyone under any circumstance. It does not mean... It does not mean that they have the capacity to like knock their job out the park type thing. It, it, it does not mean that. And I think that at the very least, right, like maybe my theory about, you know, titles and, and, and all the stuff that we do um, and wrap ourselves around these, like I said, the values that we place on these titles, maybe that's a little too far, right? Maybe I'm taking shit a little too far. But even if we allow ourselves to acknowledge and accept just the simple fact that, um, you know, parents, like they say it all the time, cliche is just not, right? There's no, there's no book for this, mm -hmm. right? We don't know what to necessarily expect. All we, all we know is to do, right? And some people are better at it than others. Mm -hmm. And so like what you said, you know, you spent a significant period of time being angry about, you know, the limits that you felt like your mom, you know, the limitations that she had mm -hmm. in raising you and decision, poor decisions and all these things that she's made until you came to the realization that like, yo, she, she essentially like gave me kind of what she had, right? There was nothing left else to give me because you can't, you can't pour from an empty cup essentially, right? right? That's what they say. Um, but I've talked to so many adults about this and like people can't, come to that realization it hurts too yeah. too bad that shit i think i'm still of course 
we had this conversation a few years ago. Yeah. And I think I'm still grappling with the idea. Um, and I think what makes it more difficult to me is that I have children now. Mm-hmm. And so this goes without saying, but I love my girls immensely. Absolutely. Right. Um, and so when I think about the kind of mother I wanted to be, the kind of mother I am, it makes me think in some ways, like, I couldn't she do this? You know what I mean? Right. And not only why couldn't she do this, but almost in a sense, like, I feel like I say, I say all the time, we don't like to talk about kids being owed something, right? Right. And for me, I absolutely think we owe children something, right? Mm-hmm. I, I will say that it doesn't necessarily have to come from the people who are genetically and or biologically related to that kid. Something, mm-hmm. right? And so... I don't think I've ever mentioned it on the podcast, but full transparency, I'm an abused kid. Right. I, I, I lived in um, abusive household. And so when I kind of consider that experience, it makes me think even, even more adamantly that we do owe kids something, right? Like we have kind of like come to this era where we think that like, Oh, once you become an adult, you know, it doesn't matter what your parents did or didn't do. Right. And that's a fallacy. It is. It does. Because those things that happen to us in our formative years shape how we view the world around us. It shapes how uh, we relate to other people. And so we do owe kids shit. We do owe them certain things. Right. And... One of the things that I think often is if my mother could not give me these things, then the least, in my opinion, the least she could have done, if she, if she could not give me those things, the least that she could have done was build community around me if people could. Yes. And maybe that's asking for too much, right? Because who knows what she was thinking about, what was going through her mind, what sure. her life experience was like at the time I was born. Um, but I, but I imagine as a mother of two extremely fucking awesome kids, Amazing. um, if there was something, and even now I do it, if there is something that I know that I, that I can't give to my kids, that I'm going to connect them with people who can give it. Yes. Um, and so I think at the very least we owe honesty to ourselves so that way we can determine um, and I, I, I never shame women who say, I don't want to be a parent. I want to continue this pregnancy or whatever, but I don't think I can give everything this kid needs. Right. And in those situations, what we advocate is that, you know, we build support around that, around that mother, whether that's through adoption or whether that is through, you know, some other kind of like supportive service. I think it starts with kind of like, you know, a certain degree of honesty enough to say that I, I, I love this kid. Right. And I love this kid so much that I recognize there are certain areas where I fall short, where I can't be the parent that I know this kid is going to need 
So let me build around this kid um, to stand in the gap where I may fall short. Absolutely. But I think that, and, and that's a really powerful um, point, but I guess what I'm thinking is, while that's a very individual choice, right? It's a very individual um, awareness. I'm wondering how that then plays into this, you know, uh, greater societal um, kind of perception, so to speak, because it's, it's, it's also making me think of what we do to women who are of childbearing age, right? We automatically assume that they do want to be mothers, that they are going to be good mothers. Um, yeah, a certain type. Say, I was about good. to say, I wasn't going to say good, but yes. Good mother. Absolutely. A good yeah. mother, whatever the fuck that means, right? right? Um, Because definitely a certain type of mother. And we judge them. We oh, judge absolutely. them based off of what that looks like. Even the idea of what you're saying about what your mom could not provide. I could imagine there's going to be someone listening to this saying, like, what do you mean what she couldn't do? You know what I mean? Like, it's what she chose not to do and all this stuff. And it's like, you don't take the time to recognize, like I said, where people fall short. Like you said, we don't know what her experiences were mm -hmm. prior to her having you. We don't know what her upbringing was like and what messages she received. Because what we do know is you're much more conscious as a mother about what you do with your girls almost because of right. your experiences with your mother. And I think that we don't give women um, enough support in that regard. I mean, we have systems in place right now in different states in our country where a woman could essentially, uh, they say, that she could drop off mm -hmm. her infant, her yeah. newborn. Um, right. If, you know, she decides she's unable, right, or she chooses not to care for that child. You know what's bullshit I think about most of these safe haven laws? Mm. Is that they are effective for about 72 hours. Mm. Between 48 and 72 hours. Don't quote me on that. I'll have to look it up and um, kind of get back with you. But you know what? It might take more than two or three days yes. for a woman to be like, you know what? Too I don't much. think I can do this. Too much. Right, right. And so if you, most places are like hospitals or churches, churches or fire stations. Yes. If you drop off a kid, a newborn, mm -hmm. and it has been longer than 48 to 72 hours. Yes. Child Protective Services. Right. And, and you could potentially be prosecuted. Absolutely. So... I think that that's, it's, it's in, a, in a sense to me, like saving face. We want to make it look like we are supportive of um, women who find themselves in difficult situations as it relates to, um, you know, children and childbirth. But 48 to 72 hours, though? Right. Like, it's, it's disingenuous. You it know is. what I mean? It is. It is. I mean, you're literally, in a lot of ways, just getting out of the hospital facility provided that right. you gave birth in a hospital. Right. Right. That's provided you even had the medical treatment, the care and everything you needed. You're just getting out. You're fresh out. Yeah. Um, and I think that, you know, um, hormones at that point haven't been regulated. You know, we don't know what is going through a woman's mind in that particular heightened state, that heightened um, emotional state after birth. And I think that, it, like you said, it's a miss. You know what's funny is that when I was pregnant with my oldest daughter, I remember talking to my then husband at the time, and I remember thinking they had nurses has kind of like warned us that there might be some 
um, congenital um, delays with my daughter at the time. While in utero, though. Okay. In utero. And I remember as I was going into labor, I remember thinking, oh, whatever happens, something goes wrong. I remember saying to my ex-husband, if something goes wrong, save this baby. Right. Save this baby. Right. And it wasn't until eight years later where I was having my second child that I was like, that was some fool ass shit. Yeah. No. And I remember saying to the nurse, you do whatever you need to do. If something goes wrong, because I had an emergency C-section, right? And I remember saying to the nurse, another female nurse, I remember saying, because I was terrified, do what you need to do to save my life. Yes. Do what you need to do. Yes. And she looked at me kind of like, <gasps> yes, no, save my life. Yes. And I think that even the look on her face in some, like, in some ways was kind of like, what kind of mother? Yes. No, save my life. Because I already got an eight-year-old kid at home. Absolutely. Save my life. Yes. And I remember the look she gave me because I'm sure most women said, like I did eight years prior, save my baby's life. Yes. No, sis. Save me. Exactly. Save me. So I actually can so relate to that because while I was dumb young, <laughs> I'll just say that, um, with my daughter, with my oldest, um, it was pretty much similar circumstance. It was pretty much, um, you know, we don't know what may happen. Um, we think that, um, you know, something could be going on with her. Um, this could impact you. This could be like this. This could be like that. And I remember saying to my mom, because, you know, I was a minor and I had to, you know, obviously have, you know, con like consult with my mom. And I remember saying to my mom, mom, if I have to make the decision or if you have to make the decision rather as to what is to happen between me and my baby, choose my baby. Right. <laughs> and my mom looked at me and she said, I don't know that I don't baby. Know that baby. Yes. <laughs> I don't know that baby. I don't know that baby. Yeah. I know you. You're my child. And I could not at the time understand what the hell you mean. <laughs> like I'm your child. I'm telling you like the same way yes. you feel about me, the same way I feel about this baby. And she's like, yo, this baby ain't even here. Yeah. I don't know this baby. Like, you're my kid, so my focus and priority is on you. And it's, it's similar to what you're saying. One of the closest um, times a woman is ever to death is when, um, she's is, is when she's in labor, is when she's delivering. And, you know, people take that so lightly. And you know what's, what's wild is that had I not been socialized in a world that says women are supposed to be mothers, I don't think I would have had that initial first thought, save my baby. That's my point. So, like, I, I mean, I get it. I got it when you were initially saying it. Um, but that's what we do. We say mm -hmm. that all women should be mothers. Yes. Right? Yes. And if you don't want to, there's something, something wrong, wrong with you. you. Right. And if for some reason you're unable to, it's really something wrong with right. you because our worth as women is connected to our ability to reproduce right. and we buy into it. We perpetuate it between each other. We let, you know, men dictate it yep. for us. I mean, 
even like not even to take the conversation like straight like left field, but think about um, the times that you may have heard men say like, "Well, she got baby making hips," you know what I mean, or some (laughs) or some comment right Right. about that, or men that I've talked to, friends of mine, not not lovers, not people I've you know, not potentials, not interests or anything, but men who have told me like to my fucking face. That when they see women that they aren't even considering having children with, that one of the things that they think about is their ability to bear children and rear children. Absolutely. You know what's wild is that I was talking to my brother and he says that that is one of the things that heightened his attraction to women. Hmm. Like his physical and or sexual attraction to women, attraction to women is rooted in how he perceives yes their ability to mother. Right. I was like, yo, that shit's wild. That is wild. You are physically and or sexually attracted to women based off of how they mother? No, not how they mother. Like you said, his perception on their ability to mother. And not even like mother, but I think it's literally that um, that quote unquote baby making Physique, physique, whatever we think about that, that look, right? Because I know, bro, and bro like women that are a little <laughs> bit thicker, right? A little bit wider hips, a little bit bigger breasts, like things that he, I could easily see him connecting with right. a woman who would bear children. Mind you, boy ain't got not near a kid biologically to save his damn life. Not near. And, but I, but I, I've heard other um men say that i've heard them say that and so it's not like the i don't understand it but it's not like he's not alone in that in that perception and once again i would argue like where the fuck does that come from because i don't believe that's like just a inherent natural connection between the sexes i i really do think it has more to do with the damn Kool-Aid that people are drinking about what it means to be a woman in our society. So I don't think that one of the things uh, as it relates to women, I usually try not to include or prioritize at, at least for me, the thoughts of men, right? I try not to. I think it's difficult, though. It is difficult. It is extremely difficult in a patriarchal society not to um, become impacted or influenced by what men think you should do as women. Um, However, I think that if if, if we are being completely honest... I think that is one of the things that kind of fuels um, women who have, um, you know, issues related to their bodies and how they look. Absolutely. Uh, Because men do overwhelmingly dictate what women should look like, what they should sound like, what they, and I think that that. How they behave. How they behave. Interestingly enough, and I know these things on the face of it don't sound interconnected immediately, but I am, I say this before, like I am 
an advocate for LGBTQIA community. We are. Um, when trans women talk about being clapped, it is this co- comparison that is made between quote unquote natural women yes. um, and trans women, right? I don't know why it made me think about that, so I apologize if it's on a tangent and not directly connected. Um, but it, that's what it kind of made me think about. When women in the trans community talk about being clapped, essentially what they are saying is male gaze has um, determined by, by way of comparison which women are quote-unquote natural women and which ones aren't. Um and even then, trans women are subjected to um, the same degrees of patriarchy that quote unquote natural born uh, women are. So this idea of what a woman should be is pervasive um, in so much a way that it even um, impacts trans women, gender non-conforming women, um, yeah, absolutely. No, I can definitely see that. Um, I mean, we've, we've talked about that many times over, like you said, even in the LGBTQIA plus. community. Yes, please. Plus um, community, even, you know, the degrees um, in which, once again, we perpetuate. Right. We meaning women. Yeah. We meaning it, other people in that community perpetuate this, uh, uh, you know, standard. Right. And further the agenda of patriarchy, patriarchy right. basically, because think about it. I, I don't think it's any um, any uh, coincidence and or accident mistake or what have you that we do these levels of um, of of genderizing even sexuality. Right. Mm-hmm. Like you got the whole like dyke versus butch versus femme versus stem versus i mean it go it it gets so deep and and convoluted even and and i don't mean to say that in a demeaning way or a dismissive way right. of whomever wants to identify As and or label themselves right. the way they choose to but it almost makes me think of why we choose to do that right because when you look at a woman who identifies as lesbian after you've gotten past, all right, she's lesbian. She says she's lesbian, right? She she identifies that way. Then we start trying to determine what kind of les- lesbian she is, right. right? Is she feminine? Is she masculine? Is she, like you said, gender nonconforming? Is she fluid? Is she, like, yo. Right. And, I, and I would argue that that all is a result of patriarchy. Because it's not the labeling itself to me that's problematic. It's the values assigned to those labels, right? Because when it comes to women, when you have a woman who identifies with a label that is, quote unquote, congruent with masculinity, right? Then that's problematic, right? Because she's a woman. She's supposed to look a certain way, be a certain way, behave a certain way, think a certain way, right? And, And she's supposed to accept and ascribe to herself all of the characteristics and qualities that we say women are, have. yes, are mm-hmm. of women. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's exhausting at best. It's exhausting at best. And I don't, I don't have the answer per se as to what is the remedy, um, if, if any remedy um, exists. exists or needs to exist, right? 
I'm not saying that in that respect, things should change. I'm make, merely making an observation and saying that this is interesting to me and that we should be mindful and then careful about how we choose to participate in this system. Because for some, it, is, it can be harmful. It is harmful. It is. It is. I think that when you say be mindful, and I hope this isn't taken as me being flippant, but I think the people who are mindful are those who are already caring and open to some degree about sexuality and gender. Mm-hmm. And the ones who aren't, weren't in weren't planning on giving a fuck anyway. Right. Right. And so I can accept that. I think that that means that we, the voices of those who are, are caring of these issues need to be even louder Mm -hmm. because we are overwhelmingly outnumbered by the people who don't give a fuck. Like I think all the time, um, that, When I when I talk to men in my in my regular like everyday, um, you know, dealings basically yeah yeah moving through the world my dealings right it seems like men the men that I know are overwhelmingly okay with their daughters being lesbian mm-hmm. because of this value we attach to perceived masculinity right like so if a woman is gay there is a certain degree of perceived masculinity if she is lesbian right because ultimately at the end of the day. If my daughter, if I'm a man and my daughter is a lesbian, we are essentially looking at the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. We are attracted to the same thing. We are looking at the same thing. That's the belief, at least. Right, right, right. And so it's more palatable. But I can't tell you the number of men who I've talked to who would be mortified Um at best, if their son, if their son was gay. I agree. I agree. And once again, for, I swear, for all the reasons that I feel like we don't even have to um, dissect, so to speak, but I do want to go back and tap on the point that you made about mindfulness, right? When you said that it's those who already have a certain amount of connectedness, understanding, empathy, caring, compassion, Mm -hmm. um, allyship even Mm -hmm. with um, women and or LGBTQIA plus community, right? And that those who don't kind of, like you said, already plan to not give a fuck, right? I would go on record and say, I don't give a fuck about the people who choose not to give a fuck. I support those who do. It's those that are misinformed or who don't have enough information and are kind of on the fence, so to speak, and can be swayed in some kind of way that I kind of would care more to tap into. It's those people who, um, and, and, and in a lot of ways, I'm about to make um, a generalization and or stereotype. And for that, I do apologize. But it's those who grew up with a particular a message being taught to them, right? And they subscribe to that only to the extent that that's what they know. They're limited to that extent. And that being provided with a different perspective and or new information could potentially um, 
give them a, a better understanding of what exactly is going on. It's those people that I'm talking about. Because the ones that care, the ones that understand, the right. ones that are, are informed, the ones that um, do the work, so to speak, we are. They got. We got them. They with us. They right. back us. Right. The ones who don't care. I. 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 I'm not saying I'm hopeless, but I feel um, almost like, almost like what you say all the time. People come to their own levels I was just of consciousness. Ready to say that again. Right. I was just yeah. Ready to say so that they again. they come to their own levels of consciousness, and I'm saying that they they still have the ability to come around. Right. They do. But I don't know if it's necessarily our job to bring them around. These are people that I consider having the knowledge and choosing to turn their back on this thing. I think as a parent, one of the things that was, to be quite honest, right, if I'm being completely transparent, I never really thought about issues related to... um, LGBTQIA plus community prior to I, prior to me having children. Okay. So a few years ago, one of my children expressed to me um, that they were scared that I would not love them if they love someone of the opposite sex. Of the same sex. I mean, that's what I meant. Of the same sex. I'm right. sorry. I've had a few glasses going. Forgive me. It's fine. I, I was there for the conversation, so I know. <laughs> I'm here to help you through it. And I think that that, to me, was so crushing. That as much as I love this kid, that she would think that something so flimsy, something so minuscule, minute even, would make me not love her. Yeah. And I couldn't even... I couldn't fathom it. Mm-hmm. Like, who are these people who give birth to children, raise children, nurse children, and then say to them, I don't love you I because. I don't love you because. Right, right, right. And. But this is the thing, right? I don't love you because of something that is so far removed from anything that has to do with us. Right. That's the part that I can't comprehend, right? So, like, who you choose to love has zero bearing on our relationship, yes. right? This is not somebody out here, you know, committing like heinous crimes and, you know, it's a it's a character, you know, thing that right, I'm contending right. with. This is someone who is choosing to love right. and then deciding who that person would be, could be, should be for them. Ooh. And I, that's the part that makes it difficult for me. And I'm not saying this to be flippant. I, I don't care. Right. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it never even crossed my mind. And then she was showing me all of these videos on YouTube about parents, like kids coming out to their parents and their parents like shunning them. And I just honestly thought like, yo, I carried you for nine months. I nursed you at my breast for a year and a half. I cleaned every dirty diaper. You mean to tell me that after all of that, after all of that, shitty diapers, this child pooped on my leg. (laughs) After all of that, that I would be like, nah, I can't fuck with you because of that. Oh, sorry. Right. 
But to think that that was a concern for her and that worried her. Well, to think that it's a concern for her, um, it's a concern for her not, I don't think, because of the relationship you had with her, but it's a concern for her because of what we see and how we see it play out, you know, amongst other people, amongst her peers, which is why she was so able to readily pull up examples of this thing to demonstrate, look, mom, this is my fear. Because this thing exists, it happens. And so once again, it, you know, like you said, if we're being, you know, full on transparent, my daughter does identify as lesbian. And I knew it. Yeah. Knew it at a very young age. Yeah. I can't, absolutely. I can't tell you exactly how or why. It wasn't in her behavior. She didn't behave in a like masculine way or anything like that. Um, to the contrary, she's yeah. very, um, yeah. very feminine, very dainty, um, unlike her mother. Um, so I don't know where she got that from, but it wasn't connected to that at all. It was just, it was, it was literally just a feeling, a sense that I got from her. And I think that it actually, um, gave her relief to be able to speak her truth to me and to be able to speak her truth into the world and to know that she had all of our support and to know that, um, you know, we were going to do everything we could, not just to support her, but to protect her from what we knew she, you know, could potentially have to manage, right? Because one of the things that I always say, and 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 you know, this this might cause some, you know, issue um the way I word this, but I'm I'm deliberate in my in my wording, is that I don't believe that um sexuality, the way we feel it, the way we perceive it for ourselves is necessarily a choice, but what we choose to do with those feelings is a choice. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really fucked up for those who choose to deny themselves yeah. um, their their truth, right? Their ex- like the experience that they um, are connected to, but I think that how you choose to play it out in the world is a choice. However, um, knowing when those things are congruent is when somebody has yeah. the most peace, I feel like, in their lives. And what I would, what I, I'm saying that to say this, when someone chooses to um, be their authentic selves, right? Not only is that brave as fuck, right? Especially in, you know, the LGBTQIA plus community, um, it's brave as fuck. But not only is it brave, I argue with people all the time that if this is not what I truly believe is real for me. Why would I do it knowing the potential ramifications that I could encounter as a result of this decision? Like what would make someone want to do that thing if that wasn't like in their, in their heart to do? Yeah. I think that that kind of made me think, bring up two things. I don't know if you keep this today on your time. You know what? Let me backtrack. Let me backtrack. I, I, I won't say this first. But I, what I wanted to say first is that I feel like constantly, I feel like I'm constantly in this, in this mode because my daughter is in those kind of teenage years, right? Where I think that she is constantly... Um, reassessing who she is and how she presents to the world, I think I overdo it sometimes because I'm always telling her, you, 
there there are never any parts of you that I want you to hide from me. Right. Because I want to be able to support you. I want to be able to affirm you. And I want to be able to encourage you to be whoever this person is, you know, that, that you feel you are. Right. And I can't do that. A hundred percent. If you don't feel like you can be your true, most authentic self with me. Sure. And so I feel like there are a lot of times where I'm telling her, even though I know that she knows I love her, right? Um, there are a lot of times where I find myself saying to her, you know what? I may not understand, right? I may not understand, but I love you enough to learn. I want to be a part of your life enough um, so much so that I want to learn whatever these um, definitions are, whatever, like, you know what I mean? Like simple yeah. shit, like pronouns. I'm not used to that. You know what I mean? I'm a, you know, cisgender woman. So pronouns for me, of course, are she, she, she yeah, is. yeah. But I recognize now that maybe those aren't hers, right? So I love you enough to learn. Right. And I think that that's, that's the key thing for me. But another thing this also made me think about as you talk about being your, showing up as your most authentic self. And I don't know if you peeped this, but I've seen this shit on my timeline earlier. You remember Elizabeth Smart, the chick who got abducted by those like religious zealots? Yes. Their dad, her dad just announced today, the shit was on the view, that he is gay and he is leaving his wife. And it just makes me think, damn, you spent all of these years hiding from this thing and you didn't get to live your quote-unquote best fucking life right? because you felt like you had to be something else. Had the mask. Right. And that's the only thing I could think about. And as I'm looking, you know, at the articles and I'm looking at the... Um, blogs and shit and people are like oh how sad for his wife and don't don't get me wrong I am absolutely you know empathetic right right empathetic empathetic that's the most that's the most I can offer that situation to his wife is empathy but I am immensely sad for him yes right yes that you spent all of these years yes. pretending to be this person because you did not feel safe and it, and, it, and it really makes you kind of like stand back and look at like who we've become as a nation, right? Like who we've become collectively where we ask people, not only ask, but demand. That they lie. That they lie. That they lie. That they lie to themselves. Right. To make you feel, feel more comfortable. Right. Comfortable. That's ultimately what happens. We ask you to lie to you so that we, so that you can indulge us. Yep. Right. And it actually like the more we're talking about, it actually angers me that there are so many people who have that as their experience in life. Because like you said, not that this gentleman's life is over. Right. Right. But look at all he potentially missed out on as a result. Uh, and I'm sure his wife loves him and I'm sure he loves her. And that's another misconception right. I think that we have in those situations when that occurs. Like he must have not have loved her. I'm sure no. this man loved yeah. her loved her so much that he was willing to hide who he was right 
and deny himself right. something so right. great as as um like you said being you being yourself like that is the definition to me of um like giving up everything for someone right and it's a part of it that yes it's, it's a part of it that is um <sighs> it, it, it yes it's, it's, it is love in a lot of ways a lot of ways I will say that it is um I'm trying to like you know really like brace my words really uh, and be really sensitive because I don't want to offend but it's something that's very um wow I'm at a loss for words for, for this particular thing for trying to be like I said so um so sensitive because because the thing that's keep coming to my mind is um passive and and um afraid and essentially oh man I'm just gonna say it cowardly cowardly for not wanting to stand up I right I think a part of me can't vibe with that. I know you can't. And, and and I'm like having a difficult time even saying that because I know that's not in everyone's, um, like that's not for everyone's time. Think about this. Do you feel the same way for people who, like people who passed, like who passed as white? Because I, I, I'm not saying it's the same thing. Please don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it's the same thing. But I think it's rooted in the same emotions, this idea of fear this idea um, that this could up in my life, that this could potentially be physically harmful to me. And so, no, I get it. I do. And, and, and so I see the parallel between the two. Um, I struggle with that though, for those who lived in the, and I don't want to make a joke about it, but like the long, long time ago, <laughs> long, long time right? ago, because I had, <laughs> I had people in my family who had that experience, who, right literally went to work every day in a factory and, you know, was the lightest of light, fair skin man and had to hear nigga all day, every day and had to eat that every single day. Because like you said, to come out and say nigga hair, yeah, that you are, like you said, you're dead. You're not just right. subject to death. You right. are dead. Right. And I'm not saying that that doesn't exist in our time because we know that that would not be true. That absolutely happens in our time. But I also think and I don't want to like kind of like vacillate between my points or between my, um, you know, what I'm saying in terms of my my perspective on this thing. But I do feel like um, there's a lot of reasons why people choose not to come out. Mm -hmm. Right. I feel like nowadays, though. For some, not for all, it's a tad bit easier. I mean, if we want to be 110% technical, right, once again, this is not going to be, this, this, the whole thing is supposed to be an unpopular opinion, right? That's what we said when I first started, unpopular opinion. Unpopular opinion. Um, Elizabeth Smart's father is white. Mm -hmm. White men, mm -hmm. especially gay white men, especially now, are probably one of the most protected classes of people that exists, I have a little bit more difficult time, just a little bit, with the whole idea of like losing your life and all that stuff. I'm not saying it does not happen, right? But I'm saying I have a little bit more difficult time. I still empathize with him immensely. I still am saddened by his no, no, experience no, immensely. It. But I'm just saying, 
in terms of your um, comparison, for me, it's kind of like um, it's, it's not apples and oranges. It's like Granny Smith and 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 Macintosh. So I wasn't making a complete comparison, but I wanted to know. Because I think I started out by saying, although I recognize that these two aren't the same things. You did. But here, here, here is, I'm stuttering because I've had wine. <laughs> and liquor, I've been told. But one of the things that I, there, there, there are a few levels, or I'm sorry, layers here that I don't think have been discussed. So Elizabeth Smart's dad is white. Yes, he is. He's also wealthy. Yes, he is. And he's also politically connected. Mm -hmm. Right? Um, And what other alternate universe am I caping for the rich, rich, white, politically connected dude? When you add the layer of gay onto it. Because then it becomes... I don't know how I feel about this. It becomes a different situation. (laughs) It becomes becomes a protected class. Right, right. That is, but, but that's what I was trying to kind of like get across. I but I also want to be clear that I'm not saying that he doesn't deserve, right? All no, no, of the allowances and all of the, like, right. like I said, the empathy, all of the support, all of the everything for, you know, having, you know, experienced what he has experienced, um, you know, up into this, up into this point. I'm not saying that I want to be very clear mm-hmm. that that's not that's not where I'm coming from at all, right? That's not my perspective. Right. What I'm saying though is that it's difficult for me though to then align his experience with those who've had to go through other things of hiding their identity for. That's all I'm saying. That's that's like my only point. Um, doesn't take anything away from him. Doesn't take anything away from my sadness doesn't take anything away from you know the empathy I had for his wife it doesn't take anything away from any of those things right I'm just saying when you add that layer of gay on top of all of the other things then it 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 heightens it it, it like I said it makes him a part of a protected class I mean he, I'm just saying no, no, no. <laughs> I'm not saying I disagree he, he, he male and white he was already protected right <laughs> that's all I'm saying but I think that more than anything one of what I think about like I mentioned before it's just this overwhelming sadness yeah. like this dude's I don't want to say old because I feel like bitch we old yes <laughs> I do. so I don't want to say old but older yes right like Live the good portion of life yes. thus far <laughs> under these auspices, right? Yes. And to now have to like reevaluate essentially. Yeah. yeah. Reevaluate something. Start from square one and to figure out what life is gonna be like and look like for you now. Moving forward. Yeah. And yeah. that's the, and I think that's the part for me that I just want to be clear again. I'm not taking anything away from that because that like okay, so I, I kind of use like brave, right, and cowardly kind of in the same context. And once again, I'm I'm, tr- I'm tiptoeing around now because I know yeah. that I'm like stepping I, on some people's like yeah, I, don't think point. It, I don't think it was cowardice. I'm just saying how I, it, you I know, in the moment, how I felt, how I, I ain't going, 
I ain't gonna backtrack how I feel mm-hmm. about his particular no, oh, situation. Oh, um, not saying I feel that way about everyone's situation, but his situation. Don't even know enough about it. You're telling me about this now, but this shit happened today. That's what I'm saying. So I'm I'm just saying as I'm hearing it, I'm kind of like, eh, boy, bye, <laughs> boy, bye. <laughs> okay, because there is a part of me that's like, yo, you 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 are um. Essentially, the if anybody is most equipped to deal with this transition, yes, it's your yes, ass. it's your yes. white male rich ass, yes, that is most equipped. Yes, you'll be okay. Is yes. what I'm saying. You will be fine. No, no, no. I feel you. Um, I feel you know, with some Bruce Jenner shit, you are. You know what I mean? So, like, that's the. I think that's the part of me that's kind of like struggling and kind of you know tiptoeing and like one foot in, one foot out. Yeah. With this this situation, this particular instance, um. For that exact reason. Doesn't take anything away from his experience. Doesn't right. take anything away from what he will have to do. Because he did have to put something out to the world. And with that decision comes risks. Nothing in your life is going to be the same moving forward. Right. right? So that I'm sure it wasn't a haphazard thing. I'm sure he's been sitting on this for forever and a day. And probably like the, like the, the you know gravity of the situation you know what I mean the gravity of the situation by itself you know causes all types of issues depression you know what I mean all types of stuff that like once again we don't discuss on a regular basis as to what people have to experience and endure when making a decision like this and it goes back to what we said all of it is for what to appease whom because we don't have to live this man's life you know what I mean? So, like, that's the part for me that, you know, like I said, is the most um, heart-wrenching, the most difficult, um, and all of and all of that. So, yeah, really sad. I hadn't heard about it. I'm glad you brought it to my attention because I will do a little bit more, a little bit more research about it. But um, before we end up getting too somber with the yes. shit, because I feel like we're like, Arr. I got an unpopular opinion I want to put out there before we get before we get completely. I'm listening. Mm-hmm. Black folks need to stop spanking their children. Yeah. Black folks do need to stop spanking their children. Spanking <laughs> is reserved for adults. <laughs> yeah, stop spanking them babies. Stop spanking them babies. I'm, I'm actually with that because like, there is no um, definitive research that says that like physical punishment like actually curbs behavior. You know, one of the things that I think about often, I think there is a thin line between abuse and discipline. Discipline. Mm-hmm. I do. I do. And I think that ultimately when we spank our kids, we do it for ourselves. Absolutely. I don't think we do it for the benefit of the kid. And I am just le- within the last eight nine nine maybe ten years mm-hmm. so my oldest child I spanked because that's what I thought you did right that's what was done to me mm-hmm. I thought that that's what you did you can't get out of line you spank them right it wasn't until I had my youngest daughter that I realized like yo somebody explained to me the logic between hitting my child and expecting Change behavior. Change behavior. Yeah. It wasn't until then. 
I don't spank either of my children now. My youngest is, will be eight years old tomorrow. I've Yay. never spanked her. Um, and I think that a part of me gets why we use like physical discipline or corporal punishment to kind of like rein in our children, I guess, right? I think that historically, when you think about um, black people and our experience here in this country, um, I think that I, I think that it is important to note that a lot of times, especially in the long, long time ago days, yes, we spanked our kids because it could be, it could be the matter of life and death for them. Either I correct you here, or master correct you somewhere else. Yes, right. But we ain't in them times no more. And so I think that we have completely foregone, like, children understand a lot of shit that we don't give them credit for. Absolutely. Um, and because we, we automatically assume that they're young and they may not get it, we automatically, like, shut off these conversations and I found conversations with my kids, both of them, talking to them, redefining what expectations are, what the boundaries are, um, has been more helpful to me than spankings. Like real shit, maybe other parents feel like, I don't want my kids to fear me. Yes. I don't want them to be scared of me because I think that in itself is dangerous. Yes. Right. If my kids are scared to tell me something that could potentially help me save their lives mm -hmm. and they don't tell me because they're scared about my reaction, that's a problem for me. Yes. And so I think everybody now is on this kick like, oh, I don't I'm not my kid's friend. I get it. I'm not my kid's friends either. Right. I don't have any 15 year old or eight year old kid I'm friends. Right. But I need them to know. That if they are in a situation that could jeopardize their safety, no matter what it is, that I'm here. That we're going to work through this situation. Um, I can correct you later. I can discipline you later. But in this moment, I need you to be honest and upfront with me. Yes. And if they're scared of me, they won't be. I grew up terrified of my mother. Yes. I grew up terrified of her ass. I wouldn't tell that bitch nothing now. I wouldn't tell that bitch what time the bus is coming. I, no, I agree with you. I think that not only do I not want my kids to fear me, and not only do I not want them to have um, or feel like they have the ability and or capacity to come and talk to me about anything, I think it's also important to allow them a certain room to make mistakes. Because I think that that helps to develop critical thinking. Mm -hmm. And if I can help them work through a problem now in their formative years, they become better adults right. for it. Like we do this thing where up until our kids are 18, we want to be able to tell them what to think, what to do and what to say. And the moment we turn 18, we're like, but you're an adult now. Exactly. Well, not really, nigga. You're not really an adult. They said that adolescence doesn't end. And I, and I could be wrong. So like you're... I thought it was about 20, 20 yeah. yeah, 20 something. It was like early 20s. Yeah, at first I learned it was like 23. Now mm -hmm. it might be like 26, 27. 
and I believe them. Me too. Because I think about how silly my ass was still <laughs> at 26, 27 fucking years old thinking I knew some shit. It was not, and this is like a little tiny bit off topic, but I did not feel like I was a whole adult until I no longer had the support of my mom. And it wasn't even necessarily that it was my mom, right? It was the fact that like, the person that supported me the most was no longer there. I didn't have that cushion anymore. Right. So I was kind of forced to do and be and think on my own. And it wasn't until that moment that I actually felt like grown, grown. Like for real grown. And so if that's the case, we can't expect these, like you said, an 18 year old, a 21 year old, a 23 year old, they silly as fuck. Yes. They don't know what the hell is going on for real. And they think they know. And they'd be so much in a rush Yo. to do all these things. Like, wasn't we in a rush? We was in a rush. Yes. We and shit, right? Yes. And then we kicking ourselves in the yes. ass. That's like, why the fuck I was married at 19. Because exactly. I thought I knew what the fuck. You thought you was grown. The fuck? And I'm sitting there championing your, yes. your silly ass on one. Yes, and, yes, instead of being Bitch. like, what is you doing? <laughs> yes, what is you doing, baby? Yes. But I mean, you know, hindsight is fucking 2020. 2020. And, you know, you don't, once again, you know better, you do better. We didn't know better mm-hmm. at that time. And I think that that's one of the things that people miss when they're rearing these kids. You have to give them an opportunity to figure some shit out. Because if they don't, they won't. And if your remedy is, I'm going to beat you the fuck up. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're not black people talk. Yes. You know what I mean? We don't, we don't say spanking. I'm going to beat you the fuck up. You know what I mean? You have like. Parents body beating the shit out of, especially boys. Yo. Yo, like the way we do our sons, like with physical discipline. Oh my goodness! Like, and I'm then you say the way we do our children because we do both our sons and daughters. Hella we do. Dirty. We do. Hella dirty. We do. I'm just sitting there thinking about what I've seen though, specifically thinking that you know these boys can take it type shit. We gonna you know not only discipline them but toughen them up type thing. And I'm saying either way it goes, we're damaging them in more than one way. I'm right. They aren't able to um, formulate into who they are supposed to be and learn to, like I said, problem solve. There is a school of thought out there on God's internet. Oh, Lord. <laughs> internet. Internet. That's right. There says that one of the reasons that perpetuates our corporal punishment of black children is rooted in post-traumatic slave disorder. Mm. And so it's this idea, like I kind of alluded to earlier, that we have been so traumatized by how white America has done um, Americans of African descent. Mm-hmm that we begin to not only perpetuate the same on our offspring, um, but that we do it um, disillusioned in a sense that it is the safest and best way um, to rear our children. Wow. That almost in a sense, I better get to them before the jails get to them or the state gets to them before the government gets to them. Damn, that's deep as shit. Yeah, I mean, I've heard that before. I'd rather whip my son's ass before a cop shoot him dead in the street. Right. And the fact that in 2019, we are still making, you know, these comparisons between, um, you know, police brutality and our, and corporal punishment of our children is a little shocking to me. Mm, really? 
is. It is. Because I think one of the things that's overwhelming for me is this idea that if I am terrified that police who act on behalf of state, local, and federal governments are going to somehow physically hurt, maim, or kill my children. Meanwhile, I'm going to physically hurt my kid to kind of subvert the police doing it. It's like, oh, wait a minute. I got I to gotta whip my son's ass before the police do. Right. Yeah, I think I think that that's still, still difficult for me to kind of wrap my head around. No, I, I imagine that it's very difficult, and I think it's difficult as well. I'm just saying is there there's a small part of me that kind of gets it. I mean, I, I could get I'm it. not saying that I agree or that I think that that is the strategy we should be using. I'm just saying it's a small part of me that can understand right once again don't agree can kind of understand it's that protective thing in us um that when you're talking about the difference between life and death you do um you do irrational shit sometimes you know what i mean i feel like we do we make irrational decisions at times that we believe are in the best interest of our children It's, it's almost like the parents, and I mean, shit, we had these fucking parents yes. who said, you're going to stay in the house and drink, right? You're going to drink this shit in the crib because you ain't going to be able to go out and drink, you know what I mean, in you know, in an unsafe environment. Right. You know what I mean? I feel like it's on a smaller scale. I didn't have that kind of parent. You did because <laughs> when you was at the crib and we well, were drinking before 21, <laughs> um, okay. that's essentially what the fuck was happening. You know what I mean? It's this idea that like you'll you'll do these things here in a in a, a environment where you can be watched and monitored, right? Mm-hmm. Where things can be gauged and protected in a sense. Right. Even if that means, like I'm saying, me beating your ass to try to keep you from um, you know, making decisions out in the world that's gonna cause you a greater harm. You know what I mean? Like it's 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 twisted in a way, but like I said, in a small part, I can kind of understand. Know. I feel like I always hear people say, "Well, I got my ass beat as a kid, and look at me, I turned out great." No, yeah, it's didn't. Yeah, you didn't. You didn't. You're Come not sit great. on my couch. You're not great. Come sit on my fucking couch. And you got so, some things to unpack. I feel like that is when you factor, and I think that, and and let me be clear. I think that if we lived in a transracial, equitable, you know, society, I, I, I think that I, I might be, you know, I think I might be more tolerant of the idea of corporal punishment. The reason why I'm not largely is because I just have this idea that I got two black girls. White supremacy and patriarchy are already going to beat them the fuck up every right. day. Right. They don't need to come home and be beat the fuck up. Too. I agree. Right. And so I think that when we are dealing with marginalized communities, particularly black and brown ones, we are already jumping through so many hurdles to get through day to day life. Right. I don't think we should compound it um, with 
physical corporal punishment. No, I agree. I'm saying I 110 percent agree with it. I'm just simply saying that I, however twisted the logic is, is the fear that drives those decisions, right. and so that's the reason why I'm saying, in a very small, you know, way, I can understand, you know, how and why a parent would make a decision like that because it's, it's a fear-based decision. Um, in their mind, they are protecting the life of their kid. You know what I mean? So I do get it. I'm not saying that, you know, I don't um, understand, like I said, how twisted and fucked up that is. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a lot. That's a lot. It makes me think about a few years ago, the protest that happened in Baltimore a few years ago. And it makes me think about the mom who was caught yes. on videotape. Yes. Um, slapping her son around. Yes. Because of his part- his participation in the In protest. a demonstration. Right, yes. Right. Yes. Um, That's and it, what it made me think of as well. It makes me think about how she was lauded all through, um, you know, news outlets for being this great mom who, you know, saw her son doing something wrong and, you know, went down to the area where they were protesting and kind of slapped her around a little bit. And I think I understood, let me, let me first say I understood, you know, I understood immediately where she was coming from and what was motivating, you know, her desire to quote unquote correct her son. I understood it. Um, but when she started getting featured on certain news outlets, it just started to make me think, this is what they want from us. Yes. Right? They want us to beat down our kids. They want us to do and say, you know, horrible, hurtful things Harmful. to our kids. Um... In a way, it kind of made me think about, yeah. it made me think a lot of things, but I think the most visceral reaction to me was, this was a performance for white folks, mm. right? This wasn't, you know, me acting like, and I, and, and, and the mother's fear in the clips that they showed was palpable. Don't, 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 I don't want to leave that out. It was palpable. Like, I, I, I get it. Me too. But ultimately, it seemed like, you know, what happened in the aftermath, all the interviews and the, you know, news shows that mom was featured on, it almost in a sense made me feel like this was like caricature performance mm. to um, assuage the fears of white folk. Mm-hmm. And I think if we are honest, black folk, if we are honest with ourselves, we would be able to see the correlation between how we respond, relate, and connect to our kids um, and how white supremacy responds, connects, and relates to our kids. Mm. And if you can see the correlation between the two, then something must say to us Maybe we should do something different. Yeah. And I think that that is where I have been for the last nine to 10 years. Maybe 
I should be doing something different. Yeah. That's deep. That's deep as shit, yo. Thanks for coming to my TED Talk. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, on some real shit, though, I think that... um. I feel like we could go on and on. Yeah. You know what I mean? About this. I think that this is like not only um informative not only informative between us, um, to further hash out conversations that once again you and I already have, but to show a different side um of the conversations that we have. It's not just all fun and games. Um, you know, it's not just all you know, dick and balls and, <laughs> dick and balls. seriously, right? Like, and, you know, there's nothing wrong with there's nothing balls. wrong with it. But you know, there are um, varying ranges of conversations that we have, and this was something, particularly like on my mind and on my heart, and um, like I said, with this particular episode, episode eight, it was important for us to kind of do a little something different. Um, of course, next week we'll be back with Dick and Ball. Yeah, the fuck shit. Um, but, you know, this is also, you know, the smoke, you know what I mean, so to speak, that we um, want to put out, right? And so, you know, like I said, we can go on and on about it with different topics and, and different unpopular opinions. And, and thank you for listening to us kind of rant about that. I'm sure that there'll be some things that we discuss that you don't agree with. And if you would like to chime in on the conversation, please feel free to do so. You can hit us up in the all the smoke Facebook page um, via messenger, you know, hit us up in our inbox. You can email us. Hell, all the smoke podcast at gmail.com. Um, hit us up so you can be a part of the conversation. We would love to hear from you. And I think that we're going to start, um, rolling out this idea that we had about um, the relationship stuff, right? Oh, we were yeah. talking about doing um, a couple features of relationship advice. We get people in our inbox all the time asking for advice. Um, so we want to extend that to, to everyone. We want to extend that to other people. So once again, um, all the smoke podcast at gmail.com or the Facebook page, which is all the smoke podcast or the group page all the smoke podcast group. We thank you as always for hanging out with us and listening and we love you for it. And we will see you on the other side. Sound like we about to die. We're not the dying. Other side. The other side. <laughs> the upper room. <laughs> Peace.